So we're back in Luke today. And we're going to have a little fun. Hopefully be a little more casual in our interaction here this morning. But Luke 7, and we'll see how far we get, is uh, verse 36. It says, a sinful woman forgiven. It's a horrible title. It's a wrong title. And hopefully I'll explain why. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city was a sinner. When she learned he was reclining at the, at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is what? And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved me much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the word of the Lord. Guys, who can draw me a picture of gravity? How would you do that? Someone says to you, can you please help me see what gravity looks like? How would you draw a picture of gravity? All right, how would you draw a picture of forgiveness? What's that? I've seen lots of crosses in history, hundreds and thousands, if not millions of them. Are they all forgiveness, Jerry? Messing with you. Forgiveness comes through the cross, amen? But draw me a picture of forgiveness. What does forgiveness look like? I just showed you. Jesus drew it. No? Jesus drew a picture of what forgiveness looks like. And what you have in this text is not the story of a sinful woman. You have the story of Jesus evangelizing Simon the Pharisee through showing him what forgiveness looks like through this woman. And my friends, you and I are saved by God in part so he can draw a picture of forgiveness which looks just like this. And when you see what's going on, this should blow your mind. This should wake you from, from a, a stupor that we all rest in. But we are saved to put on display what forgiveness looks like. This woman shows up at a Pharisee's house. They're sitting at a courtyard table. They're, they're reclining at a table, eating a meal. Simon the Pharisee didn't love him, no Jesus. He hated Jesus. I'll show you why in a minute. And typically you're in a patio. And people are on the outsides, and they're watching, and they're listening, and they're, they're learning. And this adulterous woman, she's a prostitute, comes up, and she begins to cry over Jesus' feet. And it says she wet his feet. And the word is breko, and it means to rain down or soak. 
mascara flowing, snot blowing, sobbing, tears, weeping, wetting his feet, and she lets down her hair to wipe his feet. Cultural equivalent of taking your dress off in public, ladies. You just didn't do it. Only in the presence of your husband do you let down your hair. She's kissing his feet. Katifileo. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying Luke 15, 20. It's how the father greeted the prodigal son when he came back. It's an intense word. And she anoints his feet with this perfume. This woman, this harlot, is weeping, wetting, wiping, hugging, kissing Jesus' camel dung-covered feet. Why? And Simon says to himself, if you were a prophet, Jesus, you'd know what type of woman this was, and there's no way you would let her touch you. She's a whore, and you're the Messiah. Ha! If you were, you wouldn't let her touch you. And Simon said that to himself, but Jesus answered him. Hang on to that for a minute. He knows what you've been thinking. That ain't Santa. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, when Jesus says, I have something to say to you, you say, hold up. And he tells him a story. He says, a guy, lender, owed someone 500 denarii, 500 days wages. Lend another guy 50. He forgave both their debts. Who will love him more? See the word forgave there in your Bible? Karizomak. In there is a root karis, which means, anyone know? Grace. Graciously forgave their debt. The word love, you see the word love there? You guys with me? You see the word love there? Agapao. Do you know what love means? What's love got to do? See, I'll see if you're awake. What does the word love mean? Anyone here love me? What does it mean? To have great affection, care, and loyalty towards. To have great affection, care, and loyalty towards. That's what love means. She loved Jesus because she was charizomai, graciously forgiven by Jesus. So, says, who's going to love him more? Simon goes to one whose debt is forgiven, the larger debt. He says, you're a smart dude. He says, you see this woman here? You see the love she's showing me? The affection, the devotion, the care, the loyalty she's showing towards me? Do you know why she shows that to me? Why does she show that to him? Look closely at the text. What does Jesus say to the woman? I'm blowing through this today fast, guys. Slow down, right? You think I'll be done that fast? You never know. What does Jesus say to this woman? You, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. You know why they're forgiven? You kiss Jesus enough, he'll forgive you. You love him enough, he'll forgive you. You pour out your ointment on him, he'll forgive you. Praise God that she did all these things because she doesn't have to go to hell because she loved him. Amen? That's not why he forgave her. Friends, that's a perfect tense verb in the Greek. Perfect tense means completed in the past. Before that woman showed up, she had already been forgiven by God. She wasn't forgiven because of how well she loved God. She was forgiven because of God loving her. But listen to this. 
What does forgiveness look like? It looks like that. He's evangelizing Simon. This woman, her sins are already forgiven. You want to see what sins being forgiven looks like? Look at her kissing my feet, crying, wiping, hugging. Why? She understood her debt. How big a debt did you owe Christ on your own? Now, now, pump the brakes and hang on to this. How big a debt did you owe Christ on your own? Said another way, how big a sinner are you? Picture in your mind worst possible sinner. Worst possible sinner you could think of, other than your pastor. What you got? Give me some bad sins. What's that? Murder. Murder. Amen. Another one? Bad thoughts you have about people. Amen? What are you talking about? I'm kidding. (laughs) Who in the Bible identifies as the chief of all sinners? Was he a thief, a murderer, a rapist? Why does Paul call himself the chief of all sinners? What is this, 1 Timothy 1.18? See, the first or second Timothy, someone could double check me on that. Why does Paul call himself the first Timothy 1.18? Why does Paul call himself the chief or the foremost of all sinners? Jerry, come on now. Let, let me build up. Let me build up to this. Paul was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He'd look at Simon and go, Simon, you ain't nothing. I'm smarter, I'm better, I keep the law better, I'm holier, I got. What's the worst sin you can think of committing? Self-righteous legalism. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul didn't think he needed Jesus. He thought he was a five-denarii sinner and he could pay it off. Simon believed in God. The woman believed in God. Simon knew he was a sinner. The woman knew she was a sinner. Simon knew he needed forgiveness. The woman knew she needed forgiveness. But the woman knew she couldn't pay her debt. Amen? How big a debt did you owe Jesus? How big a sinner are you? How wicked and depraved are you on your own? Because to the extent you understand that, it's the extent to which you will marvel in the beauty of the gospel and the extent to which you love Christ. Do you know what I'm saying there? Is it on a technicality Jesus forgave you and you got to go to heaven? Or is it, by sheer grace, Jesus forgave a sin which was too big for you to ever understand with a grace too enormous for you to ever wrap your mind around? You see, if your sin is little, Jesus is easy to take casual. But if your sin is huge, my goodness, you can't help but love Jesus. Why? Because he forgives you and he makes you anew. My friends, I really want you to think about this for a minute. I'm going to shut my brain for a second. Shut my mouth. Hopefully my brain stays engaged. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians. How big do you see your sin problem as? Apart from Christ, how big a problem was it? Said another way, be totally transparent. Who's the worst sinner you know? Don't tell me the answer you think I'm supposed to hear. Who's the worst sinner you know? And until that answer is me, You will struggle with the gospel. You will struggle with joyful obedience. You will struggle to rest in your identity in Christ. Why? 
Because until you see the enormity of the love that Christ has for you while you are unlovely, you will struggle to love him. Do you hear what I'm saying there? When you really stop and think about it, as those who are saved, if you're not living a life of sacrificial love for God and others, if you don't have a heart filled with peace, if you don't find it easy to love messed up people, if you don't find it possible to enjoy your life and instead are critical all the time, finding fault in everyone around you all the time, do you know why it is? It's because you don't understand the gospel as you should. That's Tim Keller's quote, not mine. It bothered me, so I had to share it with you. That's for saved people. You see this woman? She's a whore, a prostitute, a woman of the night. We like, oh, dirty, rotten, vile. Uh Uh-uh. That's the type of person Jesus came to save. Anyone here a spiritual adulterer or adulteress before the Lord? You read the Hosea, Gomer. You know who you are in the story? So here's the question. Why is Jesus putting this parable in Scripture? Technically, why is the Holy Spirit? But anyway, it's not a parable primarily for lost people. Lost person couldn't understand the parable. What about this, my friends? Here's a question. Today, are you living like Simon or the woman? Are you adoring Jesus? Or sitting above him, telling him what you will do and asking him to bless it. You ever think about that? Because every day we're one or the other and we're never perfectly the woman. Y'all got a flask. Y'all got a life. You got to pour it out on something. What you pouring your life out on? Why are you pouring your life out on what you're pouring it out on? Or what you're holding on to it for? Hey, here's the question. What did Jesus lend you? What did Jesus lend you? I've asked like 15 questions, and they're all like scary questions because only Jerry can get them right. So, Jerry, no, I'm kidding. What, did Jesus, what do you have that's Jesus that he lent to you that you got to give back? Starts with L. Your whole life, everything you own, every ability you have, it's all his to be used for his glory. And I got a story for you called sin, and it's called you squandered it. How are you going to pay the debt? You can't. What does he do? He pays it for you. Do you understand the gospel? How big a sinner are you? How big a sinner do you see yourself? To the extent you see your sin, you see the grace of God. To the extent you see the grace of God, you rejoice in your identity in Christ. To the extent you rejoice in your identity in Christ, you love Jesus. You adore Jesus. You worship Jesus. You serve Jesus. Not to be saved, but because who else would you want to serve if you're saved? My Bible's falling apart. Who do you trust, you or Jesus? Who's smarter, you or Jesus? Who loves you more, you or Jesus? Why would you choose to not joyfully follow Jesus? You want to know the answer? Because sin is independence. We hate being dependent on anything. Who here loves when someone tells them what to do? 
You tell me what to do, I'm doing the opposite. Except I do that with God too. And that should scare the boots off of me. Because dependence is the goal, independence is the goal of sin, dependence is what the gospel saves us to. Where in your life are you living independently? Where in your life do you say, God, shut your yap. Here's what I'm doing, bless it. Here's how I'm feeling bad, fix it. Here's what I need financially, provide it. As opposed to flip the script. God, I am an arrogant, selfish, self-righteous individual who still deals with sin. I cannot believe that you would save a wretch like me. Lord Jesus, help me. Lord Jesus, remind me of your love for me. Lord Jesus, remind me of my identity in Christ. Lord Jesus, forgive me, help me, transform me, mature me. Lord Jesus, help me live like the whore who loved you, not like the clean-looking Pharisee who hated you. Lord Jesus, help. That's the life of a believer. But day by day, week by week, month by month, we go through life and, and we forget. We complain about all sorts of other people because we think they stink because we some good. It's hard. Imagine if this, this prostitute comes in. Well, Simon, your house looks like trash. Look at this. It's filthy. Oh, my goodness. You didn't come to synagogue this week. You're vile. Vile! Which sounds stupid. He's a woman of the street. Ceremonially unclean. Full of disease. But that's how we live. We forget who we are before God. But Simon forgot who he was before God, too. Don't get me wrong. A Christian is not known by their morality. A Christian is not known by their willpower. A Christian is known by their recognition of sin and recognition of grace and forgiveness and mercy in Christ. Do you understand that? Who is the more moral person between the woman and Simon? The answer is Simon. Who had more willpower? Simon was a Pharisee. Dude got willpower. Simon showed up at church like, that is a man who loves God. Careful now, pump the brakes, because the lady might miss a couple Sundays because she's turning tricks on the street. But she's grieving it. She's remorseful. She's trapped. She's struggling. She doesn't know what to do. But careful how you mark a person who's saved, because it's not by how they simply look on the outside. Uh Uh-uh. It's by what God has done on the inside. Uh Uh-huh. And that's seen by a recognition of sin and a need for salvation and the the effect of being born anew in Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying there? We all tend to live a bit like Simon. We we, we live our lives for our purposes, thinking we're pretty pretty special, and oh yeah, Jesus can help us out on the side. You see, Simon, he, he sat in interviewing Jesus. He's doing an interview. Let me see if you're fit to be my savior. You give me your resume. Anyone ever do that with Jesus? So, born in Nazareth. I didn't think it was supposed to be Nazareth. I'm not sure you who you say you are. Oh, signs and wonders, pretty special. Sham. Oh, you don't even recognize this woman. And you want to be my savior. What's the woman do? Is she interviewing Jesus? Listen, shamelessly publicly adoring her Savior. You see that? Would you all get all snotty worshiping Jesus? Right? We don't want to embarrass ourselves in public. Listen to this. There is no shame nor condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
and the implication is there ain't nothing but shame and condemnation for those outside of Christ Jesus. This woman, she knew something. She knew someone. And it was someone who saved her by grace through faith, not by works. So when he says, don't miss this, verse 50, 48 and 50, they will mess you up if you don't land it right. Your sins are forgiven. Perfect tense. It's a past event fully completed. Then those who were at table with him began saying to themselves, again, British accent, who is this? Who is this who's saying he forgives sins? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her faith saved her? Is that what it said? You sure? How? How are we saved? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace through what? Where'd she get that faith? Keep going in 8 and 9 if you remember it. Not by all works, it's a gift. She was saved by her faith, which she received from God graciously. Do you understand this? And when she received that, that, when she was saved by grace through faith, she was aware of her sin before God, a debt she could never pay, not prison awaiting, but hell awaiting, and the fact that Jesus took her sin upon himself and she was justified. Now listen to this. Justified, does, I hate this illustration. People be like, justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Wrong! Because if you're just as if you'd never sinned, first of all, you're going to sin again, and second, you're going to have a problem because you can't just be just as if you've never sinned. You've got to be perfect. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned, plus clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Do you see the difference there? It's not that, that your sin count goes from 100 back to zero. It's it goes from 100 to zero and kapang 100 to the righteous side. Because we're righteous in Christ. So you go from sinner, not, not to clean slate, sinner to righteous. Dead in sin, alive in Christ. Before God, totally sinful to totally righteous. Boom! And this woman was justified. And you just have to imagine this meal. So Jesus is going all over. Luke is showing us who Jesus is, how we know, authenticating signs and wonders, preaching the gospel. Back in Luke now, if you're paying attention, you're going, wait a minute, Pastor, this sermon sounds like Philemon 18 and 19. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, I'll let you go back and read that again. Uh Uh-huh, almost like this fits. And Jesus is in Galilee, and Simon the Pharisee invites him to his house, and they're reclining at table, and this woman, anyone catch the woman's name in Scripture? Side note, it is not Mary Magdalene, okay? She shows up in chapter 8, she's introduced, this is not Mary Magdalene. You catch her name? Isn't that interesting? Because the story's not really about her. Woman dearly loved by God, but she finds out he's at Simon's house, they're reclining at table, and she somehow, it's probably dark, candles on the table, comes in and she's hanging in the back. Why? Prostitutes don't go to Pharisees' houses. So people are listening in, we, we, we don't know the content of the discourse, but she's standing back there, and all of a sudden she's just overcome with emotion. She starts brickoing, right? She, I'll be very careful here. When women are dressed up and they cry, you know you got that makeup problem? And women cry different than men. Women are like, 
the mucus production could get going. Your eyes get all like puffed out sometimes, right? Man, we got other issues. But it's just, just picture this woman overcome with emotion. Why? Why is she overcome with emotion? So, so picture the mascara running, a little snot coming out the nostril, right? Eyes getting puffy. And she's just pouring tears on Jesus' feet. Now, I don't want to see or touch any of your feet, but let me explain something. You bathe every day and you wear shoes and socks, okay? Jesus' feet were a little different, right? Open sandals, walking through open streets. It wasn't like oil dripping out of cars on the street, if you understand what I mean, something else dripping out of the vehicles on the street. And she's just crying over these feet, and then she's using her hair and wiping them because there's no towel, because Simon never greeted him with a customary welcome. See, Simon welcomed Jesus kind of like rude people welcome people into their house. Come in, it's open! That was how Simon greeted him. He didn't get up and, and open the door and, hey, let me have your coat, Jesus. Can I get you something to drink? Oh, you, come sit down, make yourself comfortable. I'll be right back. That's not how he welcomed him. Come on in, it's open. Comes in, he got feet all over, no, no ointment for his head, no kiss. Where's a kiss? Men would usually greet each other by you hold each other's elbows and mwah, mwah type of thing. But this woman, she sees her Savior, she sees God incarnate sitting at a table. Side note, why did Jesus show up? Why did he just, boom, lightning strike that house? Oh, Simon, you want me to come to your house? Well, let me come in a special way. Boom! Why did he do that, Grace? He came to save people like Simon. So the woman, she's crying and wiping and hugging. I mean, you have to picture she's clinging to his feet. Why? Because she knew what those feet came for, to seek and save that which was lost. And so she had this alabaster flask of ointment. It's expensive perfume. Alabaster flask, mined in, in Egypt. It's a marble type thing. And she it's normal for women to have these things back then. They're found all over archaeologically. This one's a little pricey. What does that tell us? She's probably a successful prostitute, to be honest. And she breaks it open and pours it on his feet. Now you're thinking, there's another story, some lady doing this, pouring it on her head. Different story. I don't know why I called it a story. This isn't a story. I wouldn't tell you. Let me tell you the story. of This is a historical event. Pours it on his feet. And that means the ointment's gone. You don't get to put it back in. It's gone. Why? Why wouldn't this woman be like, I can use this for something else. I could sell it. I can save it. I mean, I'm saved. You see, that's not how she was thinking. Here, here's what I want you to take away from this. Your holiness does not save you. If it did, you could never be saved. Because no one is righteous, no, not one. But holiness matters. And why does it matter? So read through Scripture, and what you see in the grand narrative of Scripture is God often delights to glorify himself by drawing a picture of what forgiveness looks like as he puts people on display who used to hate him but now love him. And how does he do that? He does it by saving people by himself, from himself, and for himself. 
putting a new heart within them, a new spirit at work within them, which causes them to keep his commandments. And as they keep his commandments in joyful love and adoration, the world begins to see what forgiveness looks like. And often God uses that as opportunities to preach the gospel and draw people to himself. You don't believe me, look at the early church. You don't believe me, read through church history. You don't believe me, well, heck, look what Jesus just did here. Jesus could have just shown up and preached the gospel. It would be perfectly appropriate and fine. But what he did is he sat down with Simon and said, Simon, I want to draw you a picture. I'm going to draw you a picture of forgiveness. Can I show you what forgiveness looks like? It looks like a harlot coming to me and clinging to my feet with tears, wiping my feet with her hair, and pouring a flask of ointment on my feet. And then I suspect he could ask a question like this, Simon, why would a woman do something like this? To which Simon would reply, if he was going to be bold and outrageous and honest, well, Jesus, I sure don't know, but I do know one thing, you ain't no prophet. Because if you were a prophet, you know who that woman was, and the fact that you look so familiar with her is a bit concerning, but we'll leave that for later. The fact that you're letting her touch you should concern you. No prophet would do that. And he would look at Simon, and he would say, Simon, you got a debt. You got a 50 denarii debt. You can't pay it, you'll end up in prison. It's called hell. This woman, she had a 500 denarii debt. She knew she couldn't pay it. She knew how big it was. She knew that she's forgiven. That's why she's hanging on my feet. Because she knows who I am, and she knows who she is in me. Do you see that? You ever wonder why little kids grab their mom or dad's hands? Why, why do two and three-year-olds always want to be around their mom and dad? You ever, you ever wonder they get older? Not so much. Mama! Dad! You had good parents. Maybe you have bad parents. You never got to experience this. Mama! You know, they want you to pick them up, hold them. They always want to be around you. Why? Why is there security? They know they're loved. And because they know they're loved, you know what they begin to do? love you. Totally different in the gospel. But understand, here's what sin looks like. Rather than us yelling, dad, dad, and running to God. See, we think we're mature grown-ups. We don't talk like that. We say something else, and we run the other way. But our heavenly Father comes in hot pursuit of us to seek and save that which is lost. And when we find ourselves, Luke 15, in the pig pen, being willing to eat pig food, and we come to our senses and we say, oh my goodness, look at me. Then we get to look over and say, Jesus, what are you doing here? Don't destroy me. And Jesus says, I'm not here to destroy you. I'm here to save you. And then the rest of your life, you grow in wonder because your sin becomes bigger before your eyes and his grace becomes even bigger than that sin. Amen? And little by little, here's where your life becomes. You become like the woman at times and you run to God and you go, oh, but daddy, pick me up. And other times you act just like the old self, Simon, and you go, get away from me. Who do you think you are? And the reality is we're balancing and tipping somewhere in between day by day. It usually looks like this. We don't even think about what we're doing. We just do it. Amen? We don't wrestle through why we do what we do, but listen to this. Everything you have, everything you own, everything you know, every ability you have is God's on loan from him. And it's to be used for his glory. You're not going to hell based on how well you live for his glory. 
don't know if I said that right. You won't make it into God's presence based on how well you live for his glory, because you must be perfect. But listen to this. As those who are positionally perfect, every choice you make is an opportunity to glorify God. Only saved people can glorify God. Every choice you make is an opportunity to glorify God and allow him through his power in your life to draw a picture of what forgiveness looks like. Do you you understand that? It's all a matter of stewarding this life he's entrusted to us for which we give an account, a joyful account, because we're no longer under condemnation. For freedom, Christ has set us free, but we're able to joyfully serve him, not to earn his favor, but to enjoy his favor, which we've already received. Do you see that? See, so if I put myself in this story, and I was the woman, I would find ways to not have to kiss Jesus' feet, because that would be embarrassing. I wouldn't want to wipe them off, because that's just messy. And I wouldn't want to necessarily give all of a valuable resource I own to him, because there might be something else I want to use it for. I'm just being honest with you. But that's a problem as I read this text. It's a gospel problem. It's not a salvation problem. Because if you're saved, let me ask it this way. Does anyone here have mixed motives when it comes to serving God? Does anyone have mixed motives? Let me say it differently. Does anyone here have sometimes a desire to glorify God and sometimes a desire to glorify yourself? Sometimes a desire to do God's will, other times a desire to do your own will? Because here's the thing, if you're saved, that's your life. If you're not saved, your life is all about glorifying yourself and doing your own will. So you may want to do something God says, but it's just to get something from God. It's doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. The mark of a saved person is you have mixed motives. Do you understand that? Because on your own, you can't desire to glorify God at all. So what you do, though, is you recognize your mixed motives and you go to the gospel and you look to the cross and you look to the empty tomb and you look at the love of Jesus and you say, Lord Jesus, I am a hot mess. I got mixed motives. I have desires that I want to I fulfill. I have dreams that I aspire to. But Lord Jesus, help me to do your will, not my will, because I know in your will is found life and joy. Do you see that? This woman, she understood the gospel, at least for this day, in a huge way. And I'm sure day by day she wrestled with being a bit like Simon and being a bit like herself and her identity in Christ, and that should be our story. But what should give us the comfort in this is Jesus says to her, your sins, put it in proper grammatical construction, your sins have already been forgiven and they were forgiven before you arrived. Do you see that? Don't serve Jesus to earn his favor. It will do you no good. Serve Jesus because you have received his favor, and it will bring him glory and you much joy. But understand, to do that is a battle where you fight through the mixed motives, and you battle to know God's will and to do God's will, and when you don't want to do God's will, listen to this, Understand the reason you don't want to do God's will is because you are still living under the effects of sin in your flesh. And it's a deceitful lie that doesn't lead to joy. It robs God of glory. You can trust Jesus. How do I know you can trust Jesus? Because he's fully and truly trustworthy. He's the only one who is. But don't miss the fact 
that Jesus came to the Pharisee's house because Jesus came to save sinners, both religious and irreligious sinners. So here's the challenge, here's the takeaway. Let's be careful with how we use the word love. First of all, your doggy don't love you. I've gotten in trouble for saying that so many times, I feel safe here saying it. Do you know your dog doesn't love you? I can come and take your dog and he will forget about you in two weeks. Never remember you again. You stop feeding your dog, he ain't going to love you. He's going to look for a new home. They just got cute eyes. Let me tell you this, though. Jesus does love you. Far more than your doggy does. Far more than your mama and daddy do, even if they're a good mama and daddy. But I want to ask you this question. Do you love Jesus? The word love means to have great affection, care, and loyalty towards. Now hang on a minute. Because if I ask, do you love Jesus, don't go so quick being like, amen, I love him. Mm -mm. Remember my man Simon? Peter? Huh, common name. Different guy, don't care. Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, yeah. Peter, are you even a little bit affectionate towards me, Phileo? Yeah, I think. See, how well do I love Jesus? Mm. But do I love him a little bit? Amen. And I love him a little bit because he first loved me a lot of bit. My friends, I love this story. I love this historical event. A Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the house, Pharisee's house, reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is not the woman being saved because of how well she loved Jesus. Mm -mm. 
This is not, I don't even like the header. My Bible says, a sinful woman forgiven. You guys have something similar in your Bible? Those headers are not divinely inspired. I would not edit God's word, okay? This is not about a sinful woman forgiven. It's about Jesus drawing a picture as he evangelizes Simon. It should read, Jesus paints a picture of forgiveness. And that's what you see in this woman. So my friends, the first question is, do you understand the debt that you had before God? Or if you're not yet in Christ, that you have before God? It's not a small debt. It's an impossible debt you can never pay. But God in his grace and mercy not only pays the debt for us. Do you understand where debt goes? So so the lender forgave the debt. Where did the 500 denarii go? I think a lot of people think you just declare bankruptcy, it all goes away, you start afresh. If you foreclose on your house, where's the cost go? Goes to the bank, amen? And if the bank can't afford it, you know what the bank does? It lays off people. Because debt has to be eaten by someone. Someone has to pay the debt. Well, who paid your sin debt? Jesus, upon the cross, faced the wrath of God and paid your debt in full. But he also lived the perfect life you couldn't in your place. Do you understand this debt that was paid? Jesus ate the cost. Why? Why would Jesus pay your debt? It's called the love of God. And God did that for his glory. And God is glorified as we enjoy our identity in Christ and love him because he first loved us. Our lives are opportunities for God to draw a picture of forgiveness for his glory. This woman on this day was a beautiful picture of God's forgiveness by God's power through God's grace, with the faith she had received. Amen? So as we leave here today, as we go into tomorrow, as the accelerator pedal slams down and life continues, can I just point this this thing out? Anyone here feel like they don't have enough time? Don't feel that way. Because God intends everyone to have 24 hours in a day. It's a stewardship question. And the reason we often feel like we don't have enough time is because we don't slow down and recognize the time isn't even your own in the first place. God lent it to you. You who are saved can steward it for his glory. And recognize this, as we steward our time, our talent, and our treasure that's not even ours, but it's his, we're able to use it for his glory because we've been saved. But as we use it for his glory, he gives us so many opportunities to proclaim his saving glory to people who desperately need to hear it to be saved. Amen? Your life, it's really not about you. In fact, in the priority structure, you come in third. Love God. Love others. I don't say then love yourself. The issue is we always love ourselves. If done appropriately, it's okay. If you care for yourself, understanding it's not your own life anyway. It's Christ's who saved it, who caused it to be made new so that you might live with him forever. Here's the amazing thing in the story. This woman, understand this? She touched God. Do you ever think about that? The high priest couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies 
at the wrong time with all the ceremonial purifications and slaughters that took place or he would drop dead. You could not enter into the presence of God. Moses had to be shoved in the cleft of a rock or he would be consumed, amen? But this sinful woman touched God and lived because God came to save sinners. So in fact, the woman in this story She's not really a sinful woman at all. She's a totally positionally righteous woman before God. Amen? Father God, we just praise you and thank you that you save sinners. Lord God, help us to understand who we are on our own. Lord, help us to understand when Paul calls himself the foremost of sinners, he wasn't joking. He actually understood Self-righteous legalism is the worst possible sin to think that on our own we could be right with you. Lord God, help us to understand the depravity in which we lived in the flesh. Help us to see how vile we were before you on our own so that we can see the sheer enormity and audacity of your grace. We, God, we sing so flippantly at times. We speak so casually about the fact that God loves us. Lord Jesus, help, the, help our minds just be blown by that. That you, Lord God, love us, that you saved us, and that you saved us by paying the sin debt that we owed you. Lord Jesus, you chose to die upon the cross and take the wrath of the Father upon yourself as he turned his face from you so that you could make a way to save sinners for your glory by your power. And Lord, as those who are saved, you tell us that we are the apple of your eye, that, that, that your eye is constantly upon us, that you've tied your joy to our joy that you chose us before the foundation of the earth to dwell with you forever. Lord God, help us to be floored by this reality. Help us to turn down the volume of this world and turn up the volume of your voice as we hear it through Scripture, Lord God. Help us to understand that you are bigger, better, and stronger than anything we could ever comprehend. Help us to understand that we're dumber than we could ever realize. And help us to understand that even though we're positionally perfect before you, we still must battle sin. So Lord God, help us to choose to listen to you, to choose to trust in you, to choose to walk in you, because as those who are saved, we're able to make that choice as we rest in you. Lord God, help us to understand that as those who are saved, our lives can be used as an opportunity to glorify you in many ways not the least of which is for you to use them to show the world a picture of forgiveness. And many will mock and ridicule and persecute. But Lord, perhaps you will choose to draw someone to yourself through that. But none of those ultimately matters. It's ultimately the joy of knowing that as we do this, we bring glory to you and pleasure to you as we love you because you first loved us. So Lord Jesus, I'm looking forward to meeting this lady one day. I'm looking forward to hearing her flesh out this story a bit. A sister of Christ of all, that we all have here.
But Lord Jesus, I suspect I already know the story she'll tell us. That you are more gracious and marvelous and wonderful and kind and generous than we can ever fully fathom. So Lord God, help us see our 500 denarii debt. And help us to see you who paid that debt, who saved us from that debt, and who made us anew so that we might live with you forever. Lord Jesus, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.